want us to continue with our study in the book of, of Colossians. And during our study, we have uh, focused the, on the fact that the, the book of, of Colossians that was written to the church in Colossae, uh, it focuses on Christ of the church and focuses on his headship, that he is the head of the church or head of the body. The book of Ephesians, as we've looked at, the book of Ephesians focuses on the church of Christ, where the book of Colossians focuses on Christ of the church and with him as the head. The book of Colossians points out the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. And it talks about the fact that Christ, who is our life. And as we go through this, that really is the main question that I want to ask this morning. Uh, is Christ your life? If not, he should be. Uh, he is your creator. He is your sustainer. Uh, he is your redeemer. At least I hope. And if he's not, then he can be by simply putting your faith and trust in the fact that he died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. Uh, the work for your salvation was accomplished on the Calvary's cross. Uh, he did the work. And what God the Father desires is for us by faith to accept that, to believe that. And his promise is to save us and redeem us make us new creations when we believe that. And so as we go through this, we, we want to keep that question. When Christ, who is our life, is he your life? In the book of Colossians, and we haven't gotten this far yet. We're still in chapter 1. Uh, but as we go through this, this book, we're going to find that we are rooted in Christ. We're going to find out that, that we are complete in Christ that we are hidden in Christ, that we are alive in Christ. Wow, what a position. What a, what a gift of God's amazing grace so that by faith we have that salvation. So we are rooted in Him, we're complete in Him, we're hidden in Him, and we are alive in Him. Um, so if you thought, man, I wish I hadn't missed all that, uh, we haven't because we still have that to go. But this morning, I want us to finish up on chapter 1. And really, it's appropriate that we finish up chapter 1 as we start our services again, as we emphasize uh, the teaching at the last part of, of this, this chapter, because it highlights much of that phenomenally important aspect of understanding the truth of the mystery. That which was hid in God from before the foundation of the world. And so we're, we're going to talk about that, that mystery truth. And we need to understand that it's understanding the mystery, understanding what God's word means when he says, uh, study to show yourselves approved to God, workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, you, you can't rightly divide the word of truth if you don't understand the mystery. And that special revelation that was given to Paul. And that's really what sets this congregation apart from any other congregation in, in this city. So I think it's appropriate that as we come back together, that it's this portion of Scripture that we land on, because I think it's so integral to our doctrinal statement. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Last week we, 
we finished up with verse 21 and 22. I'm uh, going to read those real quickly. And when we got here this morning, we weren't able to put these on. But because of Tim and Pat working feverishly to get it done, we were able to do that. Uh, but verse 21, And you who were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. We talked about that last week. What a, I love the world reconciled. I love the world redeemed, uh, the word redeemed. That's why I love that song, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. I think of all the words in the English language, that word is my favorite, redeemed. That's just a pretty word. And that's what God's word highlights here in this book of Colossians, is that we have been reconciled. We have been reconnected. We have been uh, redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. He hath reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. He's done that. You, You can't do that. But through his finished work on the cross... Because he died on the cross, because the tomb is empty and the victory that's there, he can present you that way, presents all of his people who by faith believe and trust in him. That's his promise. Verse 23. This is where we're going to start this morning. Paul had just said he's going to present you unreprovable, he's going to unblameable, uh, holy. Verse 23, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. By the way, the hope of the gospel, that's the rapture of the church. That's our catching away. The hope of the gospel, according to Titus, is that, that's our blessed hope, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and not moved away from the hope of the good news the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. And there, there's something you need to understand about this verse. The if here in the Greek is not conditional. People say, ah, oh, there, if, you don't, if, you're not, if you're not doing all of the things that God tells you to do, if you're not continuing it, uh, you're going to lose that salvation. He's not going to present you in that fashion. Now, this word... Is in the, it, this, this phrase is in the, what they call the future indicative mood. You like that? The future indicative mood. This if, this if is not a conditional if. It, is, it assumes the hypothesis to be correct, just not yet fulfilled. That's what that means. It's sort of like which says, well, and he uses it again in Colossians, in Colossians 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, same type of if. If you be American, stand and put your hand over your heart and pledge allegiance to the flag. So you'd all stand up. So that's the kind of if it is here. It's basically, you're going to be presented unblameable. You're going to be presented uh, holy in his sight. 
And who wouldn't want to continue in the faith? Who wouldn't want to continue believing and trusting? Um, it's the idea of being fulfilled. It's the idea of, that, of the fact uh, going to be fulfilled. It's just really a matter of time when. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So it's not telling you you could lose your salvation. Because, folks, once you are saved, once you are redeemed, once you know the Lord Jesus Christ, once you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, sealed into the day of redemption, made a new creation, no longer in Adam, but now in Christ, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. What a glorious truth that is. Verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, I know a lot of believers scratch their head over this verse. What in the world is this verse talking about? I mean, there's some, something lacking in the afflictions of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and, and the price that, that, paid, that Christ paid. Is there something lacking in the atonement that our, that our Lord did on Calvary's cross? No, that's not what that's talking about. The death of Christ is absolutely sufficient. His, his, we, we are redeemed by him. We, his death is, is sufficient uh, in, in all manner. So it's not talking about that Paul needs to pay a price because Christ's death didn't pay at all. It's not what this verse is saying. What this verse is, is talking about is the suffering that is going to happen to the church, the body of Christ, as we, as we faithfully serve. That, and, and Paul was experiencing that. Matter of fact, in every one of his epistles, he talks about that. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. He mentions it. Ephesians three thirteen. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. That, he's basically saying the same thing to the church in Ephesus that, that he's saying to the church in, in Colossae. Look at uh, Philippians. And all three of these are, are uh, letters that he wrote while he was in prison to three different, different churches. Look at Philippians 1, verse 29. This is basically what he's saying here as he reiterates verse 29 of Philippians 1, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. That's what God's word is telling us. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. There's going to be suffering. There, the, the church, Christ told the disciples that, that the world's going to hate you, that they could expect a suffering. Matter of fact, what really sums it up is turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 
verses 5 and 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Well, let's start with verse 2. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. That's basically what Paul is, is, is talking about here in verse 24, that he is going to fill up that which is lacking, in, not in Christ's death, not in the sacrifice. Only, only his blood could, could, could accomplish that task. It's not saying that, there's, that we must suffer that there must be penance, there must be suffering in order to merit, in order to, to obtain. It's not what it's saying. What it's basically telling us is for the church that's serving God, that's worshiping God, that's active for God, and when I say church, I'm talking about the local body, that there's going to be, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be a price to be paid. And Paul was paying that daily to the church in Corinth. He talked about all the suffering that he was enduring, the number of shipwrecks, the number of beatings, the number of things, the stonings, and all the things that took place. Uh, and all of them were uh, evidence of what he was saying was true. All of it was evidence of his faithfulness to Christ. And basically what Christ said was going to happen was happening. Verse 25, whereof I am made, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given me to you for you to fulfill the word of God. What an important verse we have here that we've got to understand in order to preach the right gospel in order to reach out to those who don't know Christ to make sure that what we're telling them is accurate, to make sure that the message that we're proclaiming is absolutely true, we have to understand what Paul's talking about here. We have to understand what this word dispensation means. Because we, we call ourselves a dispensation, dispensational church, Right? We call ourselves a, a church that rightly divides the word of truth. What, is all that, what does all that mean? I'm glad you asked. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God. Well, what in the world does the word dispensation mean? In the words not commission, uh, the best the best translation for this word is dispensation because the work that God is doing is literally dispensing his grace and how that grace is dispensed what must we do in order for that grace to be dispensed during this present time period and it has everything to do with God's grace and his relationship with the church, the, the body of Christ. To understand this word, 
I want us to turn to Luke. Turn to Luke 12. If you're talking about the noun, the word is oikonomos. When it says here that, wherefore I am made a minister according to the oikonomos of God. The, the word itself, uh, or, or oikonomia here, because it's the either oikonomos or oikonomia, it has to do, the idea is house manager. The idea has to do with dispensing the master's goods. A house management or economy of a, of a certain uh, housing uh, situation. A house manager. Luke chapter 12. Let's look at verse 41. Luke chapter 12, verse 41. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or unto all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward? What do you think the Greek word there for steward is? Oikonomos. Oikonomos, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give or to dispense them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. So that's the idea of a, an oikonomos or a steward, someone who dis, dis, uh, distributes, who dispenses. Kind of getting the idea. Look at Luke 16, verse Verse 1, Luke 16, verse 1. And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a, what word is that? Oikonomos, steward. There was a certain rich man which had an oikonomos, and the same was accused unto him, but he wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy oikonomia, for thou mayest no longer be steward. So the idea of a dispensation is someone who dispenses. It's an oikonomos or oikonomia. And so back here when Paul talks about the fact that he is a minister according to the oikonomos, or oikonomia, the stewardship of God. There is something that God has given him to dispense. There is something that God has given him to be in charge over. That's what he's talking about here. And he's also going to tell us in just a few seconds that that which he has been given to dispense, to be a steward of, the truth of this has been hid in God from before the foundation of the world and not revealed until it's revealed to the Apostle Paul. See, that's key, and that's important for us to understand the Word of God when we, when we are told to rightly divide the Word of God. I'm telling you, folks, you cannot understand the Word of God. You cannot know what it means 
when it seems to have contradiction if you don't rightly divide it as you go through it. That's why understanding this phrase and this term is so important to God's Word. First of all, we know that you can't understand God's Word anyway until you do what? Become a believer. Until you trust Christ as your Savior. And then, you, then the Holy Spirit illuminates the Scripture to you. But as, as, the Holy, as you study the Word of God, and I, I want everyone with their nose in the book studying God's Word, but there is confusion, there are seemingly contradictions if you don't rightly divide, if you don't understand this oikonomos, this oikonomia that we are called to do. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We have that word again. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God, the dispensers, those who are in charge of a hidden secret that we are called upon in this present time to share. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. See, that's what Paul's getting at here in this in this book to church in Colossae. Look at Second um, Corinthians. Chapter 9. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Start with verse 16. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a oikonomia, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Paul is saying something has been given to me that I am to guard, that I am to protect, that I am to dispense, that I am to preach, and this is what it is. Or what is he talking about here? Where of, I'm back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. One of the things that was given to Paul, that was laid upon him, was to fulfill the word of God. Literally to bring to completion. That is something that God presented to him, that gave to him, that he made this apostle to the Gentiles responsible to fulfill the Word of God. And that's exactly what he's doing. Verse 26. Even the mystery, the mystery, that hidden secret, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations but now is made manifest to his saints. What does the word now mean? If I were to say, I'm over. what is that? 
That means at that moment. It doesn't mean last year. doesn't mean 10 years ago. doesn't mean 100 years ago. It means now. That's what... That's the message that Paul is trying to get these people in Colossae to understand. That a special stewardship, a special calling, a special task, a special something was given to him to dispense, to do, is to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And he's getting ready to tell us what it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Gentiles? Wait a minute. You go back into the Gospels and you find out that salvation is of the Jews. You go back and you study the Old Testament and you understand that, that the Gentiles were to be blessed through the blessings that came upon Israel, God's chosen people, God's chosen nation. God was going to use Israel. God had elected to use Israel to pour out his blessings. And through the rise of Israel, as they were acted as that nation of priests, as they told an unbelieving Gentile world who the true God of heaven is, that Jehovah, he is God. And as, the, as, as they preached, as they served... In poured out his blessings upon them as evidence that they were his chosen people, then the Gentiles are going to go, wow, he's powerful. He's almighty God. But what happened? Came into his own and his own received him not. One of the parables that Christ shares is that uh, is uh, that uh, when the 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 ruler came back, they said, we will not have this man reign over us. Christ's earthly ministry was absolutely, strictly to the nation of Israel. Uh, in Matthew chapter 15, uh, he says, I came only. What does the word only mean? Sort of like the word now. We know what the word only means. Matthew chapter 15, he says, I came only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why? Because salvation was of the Jews, according to God's prophetic plan, his program. And again, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. Amen? But his plan changed. You mean to prove it? How did God deal with Adam to begin with? In innocence, right? When Adam sinned, when he rebelled against God, and when he disobeyed, did God deal with Adam differently after the fall? Let me give you a hint. Yeah. You're a dispensationalist. How did God deal? How did God dispense his grace to Adam was differently than how he dealt with Adam previously? He dealt with man after that in man's conscience. Uh, he dealt with man in promise. He dealt with man through law. Today he's dealing with man through grace. Amen? 
So Paul here is talking about even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations. When Christ sent the disciples out two by two, he told them to go where? To Israel. And where did he tell them not to go? To the Gentiles. And can it be any clearer that there was a prophetic program? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no shadow of turning with him. Absolutely true. But God's program, God's dealings with man have changed. And you know why I think it's, why it's changed? From, the, from innocence to God's promises to God giving the law, man fell. Man fell when God said there's only two laws, only two rules. Rule number one is to be fruitful and multiply. That. Don't eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. What is Man couldn't obey God. In conscience, there was no had you know, after Adam fell, there there was there was no law. For man to, to go by. God dealt with man in conscience. And at the end of that, what did, they, what did man end up doing? They built a tower so they could worship the zodiac. They chose to worship the creation, not the creator. So that ended in failure. So God then called Abram out of Ur of the Cal and made a glorious, wonderful promise to him. You, you, what a promise that was. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your seed great. I, here's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be flowing with milk and honey. I, I am going to bless you. You just trust me. How did that end? A famine came along and they skedaddled down to It ended in failure. Then 430 years later, God calls them out of Egypt, gives them the law, and he's still loving people still desiring for them to, to, to function as in Exodus and he says I want you to be my peculiar people my nation of priests I'm going to bless you and how did that end? we'll not have this man to reign over us came into his own his own received and not all of those was to however God dealt man was going to blow it and the only way that man can ever stand before a holy righteous God is if this holy righteous God determines to provide that eternal life through Jesus Christ his only begotten son and by grace present it to them having us believe God does all the work that's what grace is all about it all ends in failure unless God is the one who does it completely that's what this is that's what this is all about whom even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, Gentiles. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says something pretty blunt and pretty plain about the Gentiles. Remember we said Christ came only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? That was pretty evident. That's what our Lord said. 
But there was something hid in God. What God planned, God the Father, planned to do through God the Son on Calvary's cross. In Ephesians chapter chapter 2, verse 11. Wherefore remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. By the way, that was a derogatory statement. You know, it was derogatory, you uncircumcised. That was a derogatory statement. Verse 12 in Ephesians 2, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Aren't you glad that that is no longer the case? Aren't you glad that you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, according to His infinite grace, not based on some nation, not based on some special peculiar people, and what they do to bring you closer to God. That's what this dispensation is all about. That's what Paul is talking about here to this church in Colossae. Go, go back to Ephesians 3. Let's read a little bit more about it, just so that you understand this, this house management, this, this responsibility to be a steward. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you. That word dispensation there, it's oikonomia, right? Same, just like he said to the church in Colossae, how that by revelation... He, talking about Christ, made known unto me the mystery as I wrote before in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. His knowledge was the knowledge that God had revealed to him this, this truth. In him first, is what the scriptures tell us. Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, these are not the Old, Old Testament prophets. How do we know it's not the Old Testament prophets that it was now revealed to? How do we know? Because they're dead. They're dead. So there were prophets. There were apostles. When, when the, before the Word of God was complete, like we have it now, when, when the group would meet in, in Colossae, he'd never been up, he'd never met them. And so they, they would go and they would gather together. And they, they would congregate and that mystery was being revealed. It was given to Paul, that special revelation. But then when they would come together, there were three things that would take place in those groups those meetings, whether it be in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, the church in Colossae, the church in Rome, the church in Corinth, you name wherever the church was before they had the complete word of God, because the, 
the person that was speaking couldn't get up and say, uh, turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. You know why? They didn't have it. But you know what three things they did? The gift. They had the gift of knowledge. They had the gift of prophecy. All three of those went together to determine, to give validity, to authenticate what was being said. But when that which is perfect, according to 1 Corinthians 13, when that which is perfect, the Word of God, it's something, it's neuter, it's not a person, it's not the Lord Jesus, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part, what were they getting in part? The Word of God. When that which is perfect has come, and Paul said it's been given to him to fulfill, to bring to completion the Word of God, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in now, he just finished talking about the fact that tongues were going to cease, the gift of knowledge was going to cease, the gift of prophecy was going to be done away with. Because there, now our instructions are to study to show yourself approved unto God. Workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How absolutely important it is that we understand that right division, what is, what is absolutely to for us. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all for us. It's God's precious word and his dealings with mankind and his desire to reconcile mankind to himself. What we find through Paul's epistles is that God in Christ has reconciled the world into himself. That's God's desire. And he does it through the cross. He does it through this mystery that was hid in God, what he intended to do through, through Christ, through the cross, to bring salvation to fallen man. That's what makes it so glorious, makes it so wonderful. But did I finish reading Ephesians? Let's go back to Ephesians 3 real quick. Which in other ages was, verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of a joint body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. What is that mystery? The mystery is that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of a joint body. Ephesians chapter 2 had already talked about the fact that it was God's plan. Verse 13 of chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us, and having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in him self a two, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both into God, Jew and Gentile, by one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. That's at the heart of the mystery, that special revelation that was given to Paul, that he wants to make sure that this church in Colossae understands Christ in you, the hope of glory, making sure they understand Partakers of this promise in Christ by the gospel. What was the promise in Christ? Well, I wish there was a scripture that would tell us what God's promise is. 
Hmm. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the joint body and partakers of his promise in Christ. Well, he tells Titus what that promise of God is. Turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. And I'm, we're going to be done. Blake, I'm going to get you into this. Titus chapter 1. And then we're, we'll pick up next week. Start with verse 1. Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and acknowledging the truth which, he, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. What is the promise in Christ that we could be partakers of? It's the promise of eternal life. That's, that's God's promise. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You know what's so glorious about that? You know what's so wonderful about that? Who did God promise it to? None of us were around. Who did God promise eternal life to? That he was going to give that eternal life before the foundation of the world? Himself. Himself. He promised it to himself before the world began. Invested, that promise is invested in the complete and total finished work of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a glorious truth that we get to embrace, that we get to proclaim what is this dispensation of the grace of God? Paul talked about how it was the gospel of the grace of God that he had to preach. He could not, not preach it, according to Acts 20, verse 24. He was faithfully going to preach the gospel of the grace of God, that God was offering salvation not based on a covenant relationship with, with a people, but God in His grace and His mercy was offering salvation based on the finished work of His Son. Real quick, Romans. And, and we'll pick back up next week on this too. Look at Romans 16, verse 25. Now to Him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel that gospel that was given to Paul by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He was not an egotist. He was not braggadocious. He was burdened with a truth that he had to speak, even though it cost him lashes, it cost him shipwrecks, it cost him his life at the end. But now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. So you kind of get the idea that this dispensational truth, this glorious plan of salvation, what God had intended to do through Christ Jesus on Calvary's cross was something special that God did not reveal it to the apostles and to those uh, uh, before the Apostle Paul. 
but he gave it to the Apostle Paul and he shared that, that truth. And now we're called on to share that truth, to guard that precious deposit that's been committed to our trust. May we be faithful. Verse 26 of Colossians, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of, his, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and how thankful we are for the truth of your word. Father, may we see clearly the importance of rightly dividing your word. May we see clearly the importance of understanding this, this message of grace that you have committed to us. Father, may we understand how important it is to preach salvation by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Father, may we be faithful in understanding that in this present time, during this dispensation of grace, that it's not by works of righteousness that we've done, but by your mercy you've saved us. Father, how clear that truth is. Father, how clear it truth is that before the foundation of the world, you made a promise to yourself to provide eternal life to the creation that was coming. And Father, we thank you for that. Now, Father, we pray your blessings on this service. We pray, Father, that your blessings on every person who's here that each and every one of us knows you as Savior. Father, we know that you are Lord, that you are the one who directs our lives. Father, you've not called us to make you Lord, for you are Lord. Father, but we come before you acknowledging that you died for our sins. And Father, we trust you. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's never trusted you, that this will be the moment by faith they understand that you died for them, that you love them, and by grace, you save them. And we pray all these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.